In an experiment at MIT, Dan Early, author of Predictably Irrational, offered Lindt truffles for 15 cents and Hershey Kisses for one cent. 73% of the students chose the more popular, more premium Lindt, and 27% chose Hershey's. However, when both were reduced by one cent, bringing Lindt to 14 and Hershey's to free, the relative cost of chocolate did not change. But this time, the results did. 69% chose Hershey's, and only 31% chose Lindt, thus demonstrating the power of free. In another example of the power of free, Amazon implemented a free shipping offer, and sales went up in each country except for one, France. Why? France charged 20 cents instead of free. Now, 20 cents is basically free, or at least in proportion, to the item that you're buying. But the 20 cent shipping charge made a drastic difference. Once they changed it to free, sales went up in France as well. Try it out on yourself. Two economically identical deals, one messaged as buy one get one free, or the other messaged as volume discount deal, get 50% off if you buy two. Which one are you more likely to respond to? So why is free so powerful? Some believe that our minds have been trained whereby when we hear the word free, dopamine is released to ignite some happiness. Others think that the power of free eliminates any wrong decision. For example, deciding between a 14 cent lint versus something free, the Hershey's, there's a less risk with the free choice. And that's why we saw it as an increase in our earlier example. Some marketers believe that free has negative impact, including dilution of a brand and associating something with zero cost. Either way, the power of free has some interesting psychological impacts on the consumer behavior. Anyways, it's time to get started. Enjoy this free podcast. Hello students, welcome to another episode of Grad to Great. I'm your host, Professor Dom. The goal of this podcast is to provide helpful tips, hacks, and stories for students and young professionals in the business and marketing field that will help them navigate as they transition from school to their career. Today's episode is a weekly roundup which covers the top stories of the week in the marketing world. Our first story of the week covers Netflix's plans to launch an economical streaming service with advertising. As we all know, the advertising streaming revolution is upon us. We know that streaming companies Disney and Netflix will be introducing a subscription package with ads over the next few months. But what will that look like for consumers? And what will that look like for advertisers? From a consumer standpoint, Netflix is considered charging consumers between $7 and $9 per month for its forthcoming ad-supported tier. This is according to Bloomberg. Also according to Bloomberg, the tier would have about 4 minutes of ads per hour. That's very similar to what HBO Max and Discovery is offering right now. But of course, that's far lower than your traditional TV ad time. According to the Wall Street Journal, these ad breaks will include 15 and 30 second ads that run before and throughout some programming. These are your standard expectations as a consumer, except in my opinion, the ads that come in between the shows are a lot like television and one of the reasons we were so turned off with TV. Now what about advertisers? How will they be impacted? Netflix will be capping all brands at $20 million per year on its platform so that consumers do not see the same ad over and over again. All right, that part I like. 
TikTok, on the other hand, is known for showing the same ads when you log in over and over again, and it can sometimes get annoying. How about the cost? Netflix is offering rates of around $65 to reach 1,000 viewers. This, of course, is a cost per thousand of $65. The expectation is that this is eventually going to rise to a CPM of $80. But these are much higher rates than their competitors. And where does this stack with other advertising? Well, on quick research, Facebook on average is about $35 cost per thousand in 2021, television around $36, and YouTube $13. Now, of course, for every industry or every niche that you're trying to reach, that CPM may change. But the interesting decision that advertisers will have to make moving forward is, will it be worth it to advertise on Netflix, or should I be spending my dollars somewhere else? AdBuyer said Netflix is offering advertisers the ability to target specific sets of users, but it's also less granular than what they've been grown accustomed to with other online ads. Netflix is offering the option to target people that are watching Netflix's top 10 shows, allowing brands to target people that are watching a specific genre of shows, such as comedy or drama, or the ability to target ads to a specific country. This ad-supported tier could arrive as soon as November 1st, as per the Wall Street Journal, earlier than the 2023 rollout that the company had previously indicated. By the end of this year, Netflix projects its ad-supported tier to have around 500,000 subscribers. This is according to AdAge. I mentioned this in my previous podcast, and my fear is that we're heading in the direction of television once again. Options are still plentiful, and content is much better than decades past, but are we heading in the right direction? Furthermore, are advertisers going to see their return on investment through some of these streaming devices, especially with that cost per thousand much higher than other opportunities? I think the glory days of spending less than $20 a month to get the best content may be far behind us, but we'll have to see how this shapes the future of the streaming wars come 2023. second story of the week discusses Starbucks' imminent changes to their physical locations over the next few years. Did you know that Starbucks has a technology lab in their headquarters where they can test everything related to the store experience? This includes distances between machines, where baristas stand, and how consumers interact at the counter. Some of the requests during these experiments was to build kitchens closer to the equipment, more efficient syrup pumps, and ice bins that work better. Now another overhaul may be in the works. Changes have been transformative for Starbucks, among other chains, post the pandemic. 70% of consumers now take their coffee to go. Workers have been frustrated with changing procedures, hours, and customer demands as the amount of ordering locations, which includes drive-through, mobile, and pickup, has grown to place their complicated and specific orders. Ice machines have faltered with the small demand of cold drinks. In the last 12 months, the Starbucks stock has dropped 32%. Other restaurants in the index, only 6%. Last year, to-go orders helped with sales revenues, but this year, rising costs has eaten away at the profits. Changes are needed. Howard Schultz, who's making his third stint as CEO of Starbucks, recently was quoted as saying, It's the complexity of these cold beverages. We will fix that. We will design new stores from scratch. In the experiment lab, a barista was asked to demonstrate the steps required to create one of their more popular drinks, an ice caramel macchiato. 
The barista first dispensed shots from the espresso machine at the hot bar section of the cafe, then crossed the floor to whip cold foam in a blender. They then walked back to the hot bar to collect the espresso shots and grab milk from the refrigerator. They headed back to the cold bar for the foam, bent down to scoop up the ice, then poured the drink together. It took about three minutes to make. Other popular drinks require even more steps. Starbucks has even said that because of all their variations, there's about a total of 170,000 different combinations of drinks that can be made. I can very well see why these employees are frustrated. The good thing is, Howard Schultz is on it and trying to fix it. If they can have a more streamlined approach for creating drinks, you will see a trickle-down effect that benefits the company's bottom line. You'll have happier employees, which equals less turnover and missed shifts, happier customers, who will come back again, and less costs overall if the machines work more efficiently. What's important is that Starbucks is recognizing where they are struggling and adapting to the changing behaviors of its customers. I'm looking forward to see how their new store layout will look in the coming years. Oh, by the way, if you ordered an ice caramel macchiato as you started listening to the story, three minutes are up. It's ready. In our last story of the week, we'll talk about a famous sports drink that is now entering the energy drink category. Gatorade has decided to introduce a new energy drink called Twitch, which of course references the muscles that we find for sprinters. Now, are you ready for this? A bottle contains as much caffeine as two 12-ounce cans of Red Bull. You may have already seen fast Twitch on the sidelines of NFL games at the start of this season. However, the full launch is expected for February to our mass audience. The target for this drink focuses on athletes before their workout. This category has been growing and dominated by competitors such as Red Bull or powders such as Cellucor C4 and RSP Nutrition. One sounds like dynamite to me and the other sounds like an investment, but who am I to judge names? Anuj Basin, the general manager of Gatorade, said roughly 32 million consumers reject the energy drink category for their negative health effects. Fast Twitch aims to attract those customers offering plenty of caffeine, but no sugar or carbonation. One of the more interesting points that this article of CNBC brings up is the idea that Gatorade, for 60 years, has built their company on hydration and the benefits of electrolytes. This new drink that they're launching is caffeinated, which actually removes water from the body. According to Statista, revenue in the energy and sport drink segments amount to about $166.3 billion in 2022. The market is expected to grow annually by 7.97% from 2022 to 2026. In Canada, the two biggest growing categories for the energy drink segments from 2017 to 2022 are functional energy drinks, which grew 40%, and reduced sugar energy drinks, which grew 55%. This is an interesting new launch from Pepsi, who already owns 73% of the market in the sport drink category. Although they have failed with some drink ideas in the past, they launched an organic Gatorade in 2016, they have had some success with a drink with more electrolytes and a drink with less sugar, such as their G-Fit, Gator Light, or Bolt 24. I like the move that Gatorade is doing because we know this category is growing and consumers are looking for the product. One thing that is missing in this category is a trusted brand for exercise goers 
who want to avoid sugary and carbonated drinks. This is where Gatorade makes their entrance. The only question I have is, is this going to be the drink that is poured on the coach at the end of the Super Bowl? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Let's wrap up today's podcast with an interesting article from Hootsuite that discusses 24 Gen Z facts. I will post the link in my show notes, but I pulled out the five that I think are the most interesting to me. Firstly, Gen Zs are born after 1997, and they make up 20% of the U.S. population and about 17.6% in Canada. 95% of Gen Zs use YouTube, while 67% of them are on TikTok. Only 32% are on Facebook. 61% of Gen Zs prefer short videos, and 83% say they're shopped on social media. But my favorite stat from the article is this. 43% of Gen Zs remember the last website they visited, but not their partner's birthday. Gen Zs may miss your birthday party, but we'll tell you their browser history in a second. Gotta love it. And lastly, I wanted to share a humorous story that I found in the marketing world. We know that musicians profit when their music is played on Spotify, Amazon, or YouTube. But what if your song is about poop? Well, guess what? You're in luck. Let me explain. With more voice technology around us, we forget to realize that some young toddlers may be yelling into these devices. An article in BuzzFeed talks about a parent who heard their child yell, Alexa, play poopy diaper. When the poop diaper song came on, our parent was in disbelief. I went on YouTube and went down the rabbit hole, and I have to say that poopy diaper is a banger, but doesn't compare it to poopy stupid butt which really hits the feels. Number of viewers, 152,000 and 139,000 respectively for each of those videos. But that's nothing compared to the poopy stupid butt streaming numbers of 10 million times on Amazon Music, which helped generate the artist over $10,000. It's funny because I tell my students all the time, you have to have a great product or service that is able to reach your customer and target them in a way that resonates. Then I hear stories of this where a toddler yells poopy into a voice recognition device and the artist is making tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe I should switch careers. The only thing I was hoping was that Amazon would program itself that when a child says Alexa, play poopy diaper, a Cardi B song would be played. Too harsh? It's okay. Gen Z's won't remember this anyways. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in. And if you ordered five caramel ice macchiatos at the start of this podcast, they're ready to go. 